Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, and other role players. Tune in every week for our latest episode. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Welcome back to About the Winelands. Today I'm speaking to Bula Gerber. Bula is the um, winemaker at the Groot Constantia uh, Wine Estate in Cape Town. Uh, welcome to About the Winelands, Bula. Thank you very much, Will. Lucky to be with you. No, thank you for taking the time. Uh, we always appreciate it because we know you guys are busy, especially this time of year. So, um, and um, I know our listeners appreciate that as well. Um, Bula, if I can start off. Um, can you maybe give us a little bit of a background about yourself and um, how you became involved in um, the wine industry? Um, yeah, well, yeah, this is, uh, it's quite interesting. It, uh, it really happened, um, it was sort of, you know, happened upon the industry by chance. I, uh, I went to Stellenbosch um, to, uh, to study science. Um, I enjoyed science at school and sort of all most sort of living things. Um, and then at, uh, at university, um, I was in Dagbrek, um, and then a few of the guys in Res uh, actually did viticulture. Um, and yeah, it just sounded a lot, uh, like a lot more fun. So the first years were very similar. And then they, they persuaded me to listen yeah, but what do you do with the straight BSC? It's actually a lot more fun to do, uh, to do uh, winemaking. So yeah, and there was, um, yeah, they checked it out and it actually was, uh, was really interesting. I sort of felt, obviously being in Salabash, um, uh, um, you know, a lot of wine as a student, Salabash student, a lot of wine consumption in the early years. So yeah, so it made a lot of sense. I really happened upon it. I um, didn't know anything about it, not from a wine farming background at all, but um, but uh, the, the studying part was really interesting. And then I think um, as a young um, winemaking intern, I did my first vintage um, as a, we, we had to do internship uh, in, our, in our final year. So my first vintage was 95. I did it at, uh, uh, at a wine farm called Stellenzicht, which is becoming more more popular again. Um, uh, any else properties bought out um, bought out Stellenzicht, but Stellenzicht at the time the winemaker was a guy called uh, Andre from Rensburg. He's the he's the the winemaker at Fergelichen for the last twenty something years now. And uh, Andre was my first boss and mentor, and he's a um, very passionate and uh, very very um, knowledgeable winemaker. And he really um, yeah, I think that's it was. Um, Contagious, you know, Andre's passion and knowledge for wine. So, you know, from going from uh, textbook knowledge to sort of putting that into practice, you know, years ago as a as a young winemaker was just absolutely amazing. So, I really, really fell in love with that with with winemaking early on. Well, that's amazing. Well, I, I mean, everything makes sense. I just don't understand. Um, did you put the fact that you were in Dachbrek on your CV? Because how did you how did they allow you in? <laughs> well, I think, where we, I think we, should, we should continue this conversation we'll after the podcast. We'll continue, we'll continue this conversation after the podcast. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry about that. Can you um, give us, I, I mean, that's interesting. So you started working there and um, how long ago did you, when did you move to Groot Constantia? So, so at the, like I said, you know, because the university's um, wine cellar is more experimental, so um, we had to do a, 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 a like a three four month internship that was my final year 
And yeah, Andre and I, we got a, we really got along very well. And Andre actually started asked me to uh, to to join the farm on a permanent basis um, at the end of my studies. So I, I, I joined uh, Stellenzicht um, permanently um, after my studies. Um, Andre left uh, a few years later for Fergelegen, and then I went to Rickety Bridge, which is an amazing experience. Rickety Bridge, small little wine farm out in Frontenac, beautiful valley, and the wines were really awesome. Huh? Um, where I had to do uh, to look after the vineyards as well as the winery, which is quite a quite a great learning curve, I think, for a young winemaker to, to do that whole thing from you know planting vineyards and pruning and you know the whole sort of vineyard management um, through to to the to the bottle. I think was uh, was a very uh, very good learning experience for me, and I was with Fontic for for two years, um, and then I only joined Kloetkostanja. Well, only I, tried, I joined Kloetkostanja January two thousand and one. So yeah, so two, three years in Stellenbosch, another two years in Frontchik before I, before I moved to the deep south. Wow, so you're almost, you're going in for 20 years through Constantia, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a good innings, huh? That's, that's amazing. So, um, talking about Groot Constantia, um, can you share a bit of the history of Groot Constantia, because that's quite interesting. I think our listeners will enjoy that. No, oh, geez. Um, well, how much time do you have? Huh? Um, you can talk. Yeah, so right? I'll, I'll be... Uh, as, as, long no, as, you don't, as long as you don't get boring, they'll listen. <laughs> um, they listen, yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm very blessed. Uh, it's, such a, it's such an amazing estate. Um, so, Gluckensancha, as, uh, as most of you will know, goes back to 1685. I mean, um, that's a, it's a very long time ago. Um, just to put things in perspective, you know, you know that Gluckensancha is older than Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, you know, yeah. there's, uh, there's uh, Cabernet Sauvignon only was a natural cross of Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Franc that happened naturally in the border region, late 16, early 1700s. So just, you know, at, um, um, yeah, if you talk about, you know, people talk about the legendary Dom Perignon that was supposed to make the first uh, Champagne or not. Um, and Dom Perignon also lived in that same era, sort of, you know, mid 1600s. So even on an international scale, Krutkostantia is not a is not a newcomer to the to the international wine scene, um, so yeah. So it was um, the first the first owner of Krutkostantia was uh, was Simon van der Stel. and if you look at the Cape Colony at the time, you know it was quite a, a very small colony of sort of um, yeah motley crew from all over Europe that, uh, that settled here, um, and it was supposed they were supposed to supply uh, you know the fresh produce um, and there was very little farming experience. It was supposed to be a model farm. There was a bit of livestock, uh, fruit trees, bit of wine making. So it's a bit of everything um, in the, initially um, before. Um, uh, quite interesting. Um, uh, after Simon von der passed away, the second owner was a, a Swedish uh, the captain, Olof Berg, who was the second owner, uh, who was married to a free slave, Anna de Koning. And when Olof Berg passed away in the early 1700s, the third owner of Krukosanche was a free slave under the Quinnan. Um, so it went through sort of various uh, various hands and uh, ownerships, you know, until the, the Klutus bought the farm. And I think uh, uh, a lot of the, um, uh, the history and um, of, of the South African wine industry and of Constantia was was in that um, in that uh, Kluter era when you know the, the, the wines at Napoleon make it's quite interesting. Um, uh, those wines were all made here on Krukosanche. The Kluter cellar is still here. Um, um, the wines that Jane Austen wrote about all those sort of legendary sort of era, you know, that sort of you know, late 17, early 1800s, um, all those wines were made young Kirkus Sanchez. So it's quite, a, quite an amazing long history. And then um, when Florkstra killed the vineyards all over the world in the, in the late 1800s, um, 
uh, Hook was actually also, you know, took some serious financial strain. It was brought out by the then uh, Cape government uh, and belonged to the government for quite a few decades, just short of a century before it was placed into uh, into its current position about 30 years ago. Um, Fructosantia is an independent trust. So Fructosantia is actually an independent um, non-profit for the, since the early 1990s. So it's not government owned anymore. It is just that uh, Fructosantia belongs to Fructosantia Trust, it's a non-profit, um, where uh, any, pros, any, any uh, profits, you know, it goes back into the farm, you know, it's uh, looking after after the heritage and their buildings, maintenance, you know, um, the replanting vineyards and, and stuff like that. So that is where we are today. That's awesome. It's amazing how, how the slave and um, how many of the free, free slave women actually owned um, um, some of our wineries. Another interesting one is Mirati in Stellenbosch. That's correct, yeah. It's the same, the same story. So that, that's, that's an amazing history, isn't it? I mean, and it must be amazing working at such a place. Yeah, it is, you know, it is, like, like I said, you know, um, I think it's great. Um, I think uh, where South Africa is at the moment, you know, to be sort of uh, still trying to, to, to um, I, I think there's some, some beautiful wines produced in the area, in the Western Cape. Um, we still sort of bang down the doors sort of for more recognition. And I, I, I think um, people don't realize, you know, that we've been making wine for such a long time. You know, if you take outside Europe, um, you know, the South African industry, and especially, uh, especially the Cassantia wine region, been making wine for a long time. I mean, more than three centuries is uh, significant, like I said, even on an international scale. Um, if you compare that to, to a lot of other old world country, European countries, you know, more than three centuries um, is, is, is quite significant. So it's quite, quite special. It's also quite nice um, to have a place like, um, like Mirlis that's been in the same family for just over three centuries as well. You know, I think it's great for the industry. Um, to have that kind of his, uh, his history and heritage to show the international wine world that we, you know, it's, we're not really sort of new kids in the block. We actually have a very long history to show that, you know, we've been doing it for for, uh, for an extended period and in it for the long haul. I think that's so one of the things that our, our industry needs to embrace and also use. Um, the French are very good at it, like you said, you know, they created this whole myth about Dom Perignon, it's all nonsense. And they <laughs> built out the whole of Champagne on, on, on urban legends and all kinds of stories. And um, we have so many untold stories in the winelands that should actually be told. Um, somebody should actually make a movie about the, you know, the, the, the wineries and, and the history of the winelands, because I think that's a story that would actually be, be very um, um, well received worldwide because all, we're almost seen as a new world wine um, region, but like you say, it's actually not true. No, totally. No, I totally agree with you. So, Bula, when a, when a guest comes to Groton Constantia, what can they experience when um, visiting the estate? So, yeah, well, obviously, we are very happy to allow people back on the farm for, for a, more than a month now. Um, uh, you know what, uh, you can actually spend the whole day. Uh, so, there's a, there's a visitor's route, so you can literally come and sort of do, uh, do a visitor's route experience. Um, you know, we, uh, we the, uh, there's the manor house uh, and, the, and the old historical cellar that's open from a historical point of view. Um, and um, it's like, it, it really is interesting to, to walk there, especially the historical cellar. I find that fascinating, you know, there's little artifacts, obviously that's uh, quite a few things that's um, specific to to, uh, to Constantia, but uh, a lot of other artifacts, you know, sort of glass collections and uh, corkscrew collections, very sort of interesting sort of bits and pieces um, from the wine industry um, uh, that's, uh, that's in the old historical cellar. And then obviously there's, um, there's the cellar tour and tastings are open again. Um, 
So yeah, so so the whole the, the farm is open. Um, you know, they, they, even a few picnics at um, at the restaurants also. Yeah, there are two restaurants on the farm where the where the guys can uh, come and you know have breakfast, you know, the lunches, dinners. Um, uh, Simon's um, and the and the back end of the farm overlooking Kosanchaberg and, uh, and and the back of Table Mountain. And obviously there's Yonkersays as well. Um, in the middle of the in the middle of the historical core, right next door to the manor house, overlooking Falls Bay. It's sort of beautiful settings there as well. So yeah, there's a there's a whole day of um, there's a whole day of uh, um, of entertainment. There's even um, there's even uh, a self-guided um, vignette tour if, uh, if anybody's interested as well. So uh, self-guided audio vignette tour that, we, that, that people can do, or uh, historical tours as well. That's also possible. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a lot to do on the farm. Amazing. Tell me, Bula, um, in terms of uh, visitor numbers, um, um, since you've reopened these, the restaurants, how are they doing? Are they full? Are the people still cautious to come? Yeah, well, that is, uh, we need to, you know, we've been open for a very short period now, so it's very difficult to, to give you an indication. It's interesting, we just had a meeting now, um, and uh, I think before before coronavirus, you know, we're sort of guessing, but Khutkasacha must have been one of the most visited wine farms in the world. Um, mm. We've uh, we spoke about uh, Champagne once or twice. The, um, the previous winemaker, he's retired last year. The previous winemaker of um, uh, Dom Perignon, it's a gentleman by the name of Richard Geoffroy. He was here a few years ago, and he was absolutely gobsmacked. You know, and he said um, he thinks, and I'm talking about South Africa in general now. He said, you know, what we have in South Africa as far as wine tourism, you know, he said, you know, we the rest of the wine world country mile ahead. He said, near yeah. California is a distant second, and after that, not a hell of a lot. Um, but when, as far as visitors' numbers concerned, you know, we used to get between 420 and 450,000 people per year on the farm. I mean, that is that is significant. Those are significant mm. numbers. Um, um, since uh, since uh, lockdown, um, obviously those numbers are seriously down. Um, a lot of those visitors were international. Um, the restaurants, um, the restaurants are busy. Um, but again, you know, the, we, we we try to respect social distancing, and obviously, you know, to, you mm. know, we try to be responsible as well. So it's only 50% of the um, uh, guests allowed, you know, so the both restaurants reduce their numbers by half to allow, um, you know, space between tables and guests and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so the restaurants are full, but they are running at, uh, at, at, uh, at half the capacity. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, the, now your world, the, the wines that you are producing, can you tell us a little bit about the wines you're making at Good Constantia and also your own um, winemaking philosophy? Yeah. Well, the range we make is uh, the range we make is pretty big. Um, so, Trocadero, as as you probably know, is known for Sauvignon. It's interesting. The Cosancha Valley is quite small. The Cosancha Valley is about three hundred and seventy hectares, I think, which is tiny if you take that. Uh, the South African wine industry is about ninety-two thousand. So that is like uh, like half a percent, not even of the South African wine industry. And of that, um, very close to half of our vineyard lands planted to Sauvignon Blanc. So the Cassantia Valley as a whole um, is quite big on Sauvignon Blanc. Where Gilkesantia is situated, we have more of the valley floor, not so much of the mountain um, of uh, this Constantinburg mountain. So we do more reds than whites, but Sauvignon Blanc is, um, is definitely a very important part of our business. Um, yeah, we're very proud of the Sauvignons we produce here, really expressive Sauvignons. Some really uh, very um, uh, intense, very aromatic Sauvignons we produce here, and then Chardonnays. Um, yeah, Chardonnay is another one. Chardonnay has been an overachiever in the last twenty years since I've been here. I think um, um, you know the, it's quite interesting. Um, if you look at the sales figures, 
I think in South Africa as a whole, Chardonnay is on the, the, the volume of Chardonnay has declined over the last few years, but the value of Chardonnay sold has increased. So it seems like you know people are buying less Chardonnay, buy, but they buy more expensive Chardonnays. Actually, and what you see here in as well um, is that our Chardonnay is one of the first white wines to sell out every year. You know, we can't produce enough. Um, I think there's definitely a market for 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 some some really top end Chardonnays. Um, I do think you know South Africa as a whole. I think we you know there's a you know Chenin Blanc is our biggest variety, and people are very proud of the very interesting Chenins we produce here. But uh, but I think Chardonnay is probably one of our country's uh, strongest categories. There's some really really world class uh, Chardonnays we produce here. And we've had some great success with that variety on Fruit Costanza as well. So the two important white varieties, obviously, are Chardonnay and, and, and Sauvignon. And then on the red side, uh, oh, oh, then we have a flagship white blend as well, what we just call our governor's white. Um, Sauvignon Semillon, barrel-fermented Sauvignon Semillon that, uh, that we keep in, in bottle for, for a bit long before we release it. Also some really um, nice complexity, very sort of uh, interesting layered uh, style of wine. And then the red side, you know, um, the two big single varieties of red, so Shiraz, um, we still call it Shiraz. Um, interesting, we spoke about the history of the farm. So um, Shiraz, I think it's been, it's, it's the second biggest red wine, uh, red varietal in South Africa after Cabernet Sauvignon, but for many years, uh, it was the most new plantings for various reasons. And I think, you know, sort of, you know, water, water stress, water supply, sort of global warming, climate change, all those things, you know, I think guys got nervous and then and, and Shiraz is a very versatile variety. It's quite a hardy variety as well. So, um, so it's been a, it's quite a, quite a um, popular variety in, um, still is in South Africa, but Klukestan has a very long history with this variety. And there are, um, there are um, uh, references back to Constantia Shiraz going back to, I think it's 1725 or something, something like that. Oh, where there's yeah. some German and French uh, viticultures in the Cape, and they believe that the Constantia red of the 1720s was actually um, included some Shiraz. Um, interesting, wonderful. Um, um, there's, a, there's an estate in Western Australia, Voyager estate that, um, that created for Constantia with a, with a, you know, the, obviously the, the, the Shiraz pretty big in, in Australia, more South Australia than Western Australia. But, um, but they created Constantia for, for the origin of their vines. Obviously, they, they, they couldn't send the vines from France all the way around the Cape to Australia. They probably, the vines would have died or the people would have eaten the vines probably at that point. So they actually got their vines from Claude Constantia and when Phylloxera uh, killed all our vineyards around the Cape, we actually got our first plantings of Shiraz in the late 1890s didn't come from France. We actually got it back from Voyager Estate. So, um, so they, wow. they created us for the origin, but then they also say that Voyager Estate saved the South African wine industry by providing us vines in the late 1800s. So, um, yeah, so Shiraz is a, it, it's, it's, uh, it's one of our biggest uh, red varieties, some very interesting expression. I think, like I said, you know, some beautiful Shirazes we make in the country, you know, different areas, um, Stellenbosch, Swartland, you know, different expressions of, uh, of Shiraz, and then the cool climate of Constantia, Obviously, it's a very aromatic, sort of spicy, sort of floral mm. style Shiraz. Um, same thing with Pinotage. We're the only guys making Pinotage here um, in the, in the Costantia Valley. And a, again, a very interesting take on the variety. The cooler climate, sort of, you know, higher rainfall brings out a lot more uh, of the feminine side of, uh, of the Pinotage. So, yeah, so the, the two white varieties in the white blend and then the two red varieties, um, main red varieties. And then obviously our red blend, the, the, the Governor's Reserve, our Cab Merlot blend. Um, that's our pride and joy. And then the last one is um, is the is the Grand Constance, and that is 
um, our interpretation of the of the legend sweet wine that was made here on Kurt Kostansha, you know, in the 17th and 18th century. Interesting. You don't make MCC. Uh, you know, well, we do a lot. You know, we do a bit of rosé as well. We do make an MCC. It's relatively small volumes, but we do make MCC. We even make a VSOP brandy. We just bottled the 2014 VSOP brandy. It's beautiful, huh? My um, word. Yeah, so there are bits and pieces, but, it, but the, the, the main, the, the sort of main mm -hmm. lines of Kirk Sancho is Sauvignon, Chardonnay, the Governor's White, Pilatar, Shiraz, the Governor's Red, and the Sweet. But there are bits and pieces, you know, there's a varietal Merlot. There's a, yeah, there are bits and pieces um, of, of other stuff that we also do. Well, something else that's interesting you mentioned that you still call um, uh, Shiraz, Shiraz, or Shiraz, as you say. Um, but the, 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 the fashion these days, is, uh, there's, there's been a fashion to call it Shiraz. What, what, is, what is the difference? Uh, what, what happened there? Is it a marketing thing or, or what happened? You know, well, it's, uh, you should never underestimate the value in sounding sophisticated. I mean, geez, you can't, <laughs> you can't. You can't make this beautiful perfumed red wine and then call it Shiraz. You know, it, uh, it sounds very, but it's plat fleurs, you know, it, um, yeah, unsophisticated. Now, listen, yeah, I'm joking. There, uh, for some weird reason, and there are the uh, theories why South Africa and Australia call it Shiraz, while the rest of the wine world call it uh, Syrah. Uh, interesting, I mentioned Stalinzov earlier. Um, Andre at Stalinzov, he made uh, what he thought was a more sort of uh, old world style uh, Shiraz in 1994. And he had to apply to the board, uh, the one Spirits board to actually call the first Stellenzer Syrah, to call it Syrah and not Shiraz. So yeah, so um, Andre now at Fergelich, and he was actually the first guy, he had to apply to the board to actually call the first wine Syrah in 1994, well, sold in 95. And I think it is people try to move away from that Sort of you know big bold style and say but it's yeah um you know I think naming the wine Syrah is already sort of you know signaling this yeah this wine is you know sort of more in an old world style rather than sort of you know new world sort of in your face style you know that's associated with the South Australian Shiraz, but um you know we've been used the name we've been using the name Shiraz for a very very long time so for us to sort of change now the name you know people got to know. Shiraz over the decades and how to change the name, you know, it didn't really make sense to us. So, um, so yeah, even I really. do think our, our style of wine is probably more Syrah than it is Shiraz. Um, you know, the people know the brand, so we're just, we're just sticking with it. The other thing I wanted to ask you as a, a Chardonnay expert is, um, I remember in the early 90s, it used to be a very big fashion to, to actually make a very, the, the, lots of oak and wood in the Shiraz, in the, in the Chardonnays. And that seems to have changed over the over the last few years. Um, what has what the development been there? You know, that's uh, it's actually quite interesting. Um, you know, the uh, the wine world the wine world has changed quite a bit, uh, and um, um, a lot of these changes started in America. Yes, geez, well, I don't know how much time you have, but so there's a there's a guy called Robert Mondavi, and he was the first guy to. Uh, to use a lot of uh, to use a lot of new oak, and obviously his mates in Napa picked up on that. Um, mm -hmm. Because before that, the rest of the world, including France, the whole of France, you know, people used more older barrel. They didn't really use a lot of new oak. And, um, and then shortly after, you may have seen the movie. There was a movie made about the Judgment of Paris, the 1976 tasting that um, uh, Stephen Spurrier did. Mm -hmm. Yes, the and then, um, and then the, the, the California wines knocked the yeah. bigger pardon. When Americans put the French in their place. There you go. So, uh, so then, and then shortly after that was um, 
Whereas um, I think that the French obviously saw that and they, um, you know, they started to pick a bit riper, um, you know, sort of more new oak. And then another, another phenomenon by the name of Robert Parker happened. So all these things mm -hmm. happened, you know, sort of, you know, between 76 and 82 vintage, Bordeaux vintage, I think also a riper vintage and more sort of more new oak. Um, and these wines got more rewarded. So people went from the early 70s to pretty much only replacing barrels when they had to, to sort of, you know, early 1980s when new oak was actually the significant part of the style of the wine um, because of what I, what I just said, because of those sort of things that happened, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and I think that um, we, well, fortunately, um, I was still at school at the time, but I think the wine world made mistakes. I think guys overdid it. Huh? Maybe not the correct oak. There was a, even the oak industry went through quite a few uh, uh, phases over, over, the, over the years. And I think that's what happened. People recognized something. And then American oak also came into play. I think people, um, they recognized the oak and it was overdid. They overdid it. Um, and if I say they, when I started making wine in the mid 90s, um, you know, I was also guilty of that. You know, it's, uh, it's very difficult not to, to give it it's like a big, bold Pinotage or Shiraz or, uh, you know, give it a lot of new American oak or a lot of toasty French oak for, for, for a bold and ripe style Chardonnay. So I think that's what we did. And we very quickly realized, I think the South African wine industry, probably ahead of the curve, we quickly realized, but this you know, we're not doing ourselves any favor. I think uh, there's, there's the whole new oak thing may work and maybe in Australia and California, but it doesn't really add value. It really sort of kills the personality of our wines here. We don't, mm. uh, so um, so I think we got over that, uh, over that very quickly, but I, I agree with you. Very buttery, very big, very oaky, um, the reds and whites that we, that we made in the, um, that we made in the 90s. But fortunately, I think we saw the light. Huh? And I think people, a lot of guys trying to rein in on the oak use and also rein in on the ripeness, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, it's um, not acceptable, you know, to produce these 15 plus alcohol wines and you know, people try to sort of rein and get more freshness, you know. Um, so yeah, so that's definitely a style that came and went. Well, interesting. We can talk about this more at, a, at another time. Um, Bula, your wines, we are almost at them sold. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, obviously a different answer than I would have given you a year ago. So um, <laughs> I can believe that. So, yes. uh, so we, we we try to balance our, our local sales and our, our domestic sales and our uh, international sales. So just sort of, you know, to simplify, you know, Fulke Sanchez used to be like half local, half export. Um, sometimes a bit more here, a bit more there, but that's normally what we try to aim for is like uh, half domestic, half export. After, after the domestic sales, a large chunk of that, probably half of the half, so 25% sold off the farm, you know, traditionally. Um, that's obviously changed. Um, um, yeah, so because, uh, like I said, you know, international tourism was quite a was quite a quite a big part of our um, of our setup here, and that's changed. So, uh, so there's still um, you still get a lot of visitors. The, the fact that um, you know, in the current lockdown sort of regulations, we can't sell wines over Saturdays and Sundays is not great. Because um, you know we still get a lot of visitors. The farm is busy and over the weekends, uh, but people can't buy wine. So we need to we need to think clever how we're going to address that. But yeah, so exactly where our wines are sold now, um, it's it's changed. We don't know. We'll probably get a sales figure at, at the end of the month and see where we are. But um, yeah, we um, fortunately it's it's quite interesting. Um, I see that you, there was also uh, um, uh, one of your emailers, you have that hashtag save SA wine um, and, and one of your mailers. And that's it's quite right. interesting. Um, I think that's done. There was amazing, amazing initiative that we've seen, especially in UK, 
um, UK and, 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 and Northern Europe. And we've seen a spillover of that into the US as well. We've had some really great support from, uh, from the US as well. Um, and it's actually showing in our sales figures. Um, you know, we've seen um, really good support from, again, uh, our big clients, Northern Europe, uh, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, um, UK as well. Um, and then even the US, you know, so we've seen some great support, Southeast Asia as well. We've seen some great support from international. So our international sales are actually up. So we're leaning more international exports just purely because, you know, we don't have the local sales. Um, the restaurants are trying, but obviously they have their limitations as well. And I think a lot of the guys in the domestic market are a bit cash trapped. So um, we've seen at the moment people are, you know, they, um, you know, they, I suppose it depends who you talk to. Some people say that, you know, people are trading down, buying sort of more entry level. Um, other people in the wine industry say, you know, they're selling fewer wine, but sort of, you know, higher end. So it really depends where you go to. But yeah, but the local sales are, not as not as good as they as they used to be. Well, it's interesting when we started that um, Safe SA Wine Group, our people um, from overseas actually supported the South African um, wine industry. Um, you know, uh, uh, the the support from abroad, I think, stunned people in, in into um, action in terms of that they realised that our wine is actually more important to. It, it was almost as if, as if our wine was more important to the buyers overseas than it was to our own people here. Um, um, you know, it was, it was crazy. But we had yeah. there was a there was a Facebook group um, of Safe SA Wine. I'm not sure if you if you saw what happened there. But we, we, got we random, actually ran we actually started that group. I started. Good it. man, because I had I had uh, I had random messages from people all over the world uh, that um, thank you very much for that. Uh, that said to me, listen, yeah, I'm sitting in Scotland or old school friend, you know. That's sitting yeah. somewhere else, or just like a random guy from Germany. Listen, yeah, I'd like to buy your wine. So, so that's been really good. I think it's the, it's the, um, so there's obviously sort of secondary sales, you know, that we that I'm not even aware of that it um, that it initiated, um, and a lot of direct stuff as well. We just sort of send uh, the direct messages with links and and, uh, and and ways put them in contact with our distributors and um, wherever they were. So that was uh, thank you very much for for initiating that. Well, it was a, it was a great it was a great initiative, and it um and it, I think it definitely gained a lot of momentum. We were surprised um, because initially, you know, we had messages, you know, um, some, some of our importers were a bit, they were a bit nervous, um, you know, uh, wasn't sure whether they could honor the um, our uh, um, export agreements. Eventually came back, it's fine, you know, they will order it, um, they will honor it and then come back later. But listen, you know, they may need some more and that's quite happened in quite a few markets. So, um, so that's uh, that really picked up, picked up amazing momentum, and it, it's really really helped us with our okay, cash flow for the for the I last think, few months. Otherwise, we may have had some problems. Well, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll come. Um, I have a free glass of wine when I see you for that one. Yeah, are <laughs> <laughs> you more than a glass, mate? I um, uh, it's interesting. The most interesting story I read Buddha, is is some guy that that actually one day posted that he. He walked in um, Waitrose in the UK and he saw somebody buying wine off the shelf and they were buying a New Zealand wine. So he approached his people and said, no, put those wines back and buy a South African wine. So, <laughs> so it's crazy, right? People got really emotional um, about it. That might be a guy from overseas calling in an order there. Yeah, it's like a, no, no, that's fantastic. No, fantastic. I'll, I'll, I'll no that, that's a, it's, in, it's an internal call. Oh, it's I an see. Internal call. Sorry about that. I don't know how to... I don't know how to reroute my phone. No worries, Bula. Um, you, you have a wine club at, at Constantia. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? You know what, uh, Will? There, your timing is not great because we are having a fresh look at our um, at our whole sort of digital and, and online. Yes, so we do have a wine club. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, so um, at the, you know, so yeah, so there's there's a wine club where there are two different wine clubs where people can 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 join. Um, and uh, yeah, go go to the website where they they uh, where they will find different offerings. We are actually working on that at the moment. Um, okay. Again, it's quite interesting um, how these things work. Um, it seems like wine clubs sort of you know they had their day and they were fading, um, and it seems like they're really picking up again at the moment. So, so we definitely um, we are busy with the process. Literally in the next few days, sort of relaunch a new club and um, and getting sort of better offering. But you know, so we we are looking at. Um, you know, people do become members, you know, get, get the first, you know, get news, get inf uh, information, if there are any specials, any new releases, um, um, to, uh, to, 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 to keep the, the, the club members informed, um, pre-order if there are new vintages of small lots of wines, um, you know, small uh, bits and pieces, um, if they can't be part of that. So we have a wine club, and obviously there's a discount as well. Um, um, so uh, if you if, uh, on the wine, so there's no, there's no sign-up cost, or there's no nothing, you can just sort of join the club if you go to the website um go to the website and sign up for the club and then yeah there are discounts and um and some specials on there as well oh that's awesome so Bula, i mean you're mentioning just the changes and everything i mean the coronavirus has forced all of us to rethink our business models um and um you know uh the, the i think the the buzzword of the time is called direct to consumer and all of these things and you mentioned online you know um do you do you guys what are you guys doing in terms of um, rethinking your business models, and do you have any changes or new ideas in mind? We again, well, it's um, it's difficult to say, but we are. I think what we because um, I think in the past, I think the whole website, the whole um, uh, um, the offering was more to get people on the farm. Um, that's that's what we always try to do: get people on the farm. So the website was more experiential um, rather than sort of commercial. Um, but uh, but the, but uh, but if people wanted to buy wine, it was actually impossible to buy wine. Um, mm -hmm. You had to sort of you know click, and then uh, they send you an email, and then you get a quote, and then you say what you want, and then you get a quote. It was actually surprisingly um, geriatric what we had there, and that has been streamlined. You know, just sort of on you know that people, if they actually want wine on a Saturday night, they sit there and they read something or they see something that's quite interesting. To go to the website and literally sort of you know click click and then get it through. So yeah, so we 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 definitely from so from a um, uh, from a digital sort of point of view, we uh, we streamlined that. Um, and that is uh, that is where we are now. There may be a few other things as well, sort of digital. Um, that you know, because it seems like the whole world is going more digital. Um, I'm sure you've seen the same in your in your um, circle of friends as well. People don't go into the office anymore. Um, yeah. You know, a um, lot of lot of offices standing empty. Um, I went uh, went out with my wife um, a couple of weeks ago um, to the city centre, Bree Street. You know, and it's actually sort of so shocking to see sort of empty buildings to let for sale um, in prime areas in Cape Town. So I think um, a lot's moving. To, uh, a lot is moving to um, the business moving sort of you know online, and it's something that we also consider. Um, I do think a place like Focus Sancha. You know, if you come here, you know, you have to experience this. You have to sit here and sort of, you know, look at Table Mountain, look at False Bay, sort of, you know, sit here in the vineyards. And, you know, I think once we get people here, this is what we want. We want people to, we want people to come to the farm and really experience that. But um, for the, for the, geez, I don't know, next probably 12 months, if not more, it's going to be difficult. National travel is going to be the difficult. Even domestic travel travel is mm -hmm. going to be difficult. So we are looking at sort of giving, giving people a more... Um, 
at least some digital experience, you know, if they don't have the, um, the, the possibility of, of coming here, but they can have some experience, you know, at, um, and then and just have a, you know, experience a piece of work essential until they have the opportunity to come here again. So if you take talking about digital experiences, what do you have in mind? Do you have like virtual tastings, that type of thing, or more like video, things, yeah. videos of the, what, what are you planning? No, that is, you know, that's all, you know, we are playing around with a few people, you know, to see if we can do sort of, you know, 3D and, and those kind of experiences. Oh, you know? okay. if, it's, if, it, if it is, yeah, we'll see if it is uh, viable and possible to do it. So we've, we've, done, we've done some work, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, to, to, to see if it is going to be uh, possible, you know, we'll, we're still getting there. Well, a few people I've spoken to, um, um, have, I mean, I think everybody realizes that we, what I, we're going to have what I call an arid tourist season. We're going to have a tourism winter, not a tourism summer. Because we honestly, I, I don't think we're going to have any international tourists at all. I think even business people I read today are struggling to get um, uh, permission to come to South Africa. So the chances of tourism, tourists coming is very, very slim. Um, so that means the only market that's really left is the local market. And um, a lot of the Stellenbosch wineries and so are, some of them are changing the menus in the restaurants. And um, obviously, places that have accommodation are giving accommodation specials. What are you guys doing to to attract local people? Um, you know, this uh, we haven't we haven't uh, uh, done a big drive for uh, to to, uh, to get more local people. Yeah, we we're very fortunate to be on the um, to be on the red bus tour. So mm. they they do bring a fair amount of people. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think what we what we can do as well is just make people more aware via social media to make people aware. Listen, yeah, we are open. The restaurants are open. Um, mm. You know, so that's uh, that is pretty as much as much as we can do. So the estate is still pretty much alive. But I agree with you. I mean, the local market is definitely very important. You know, it's important. It's important to us. Um, um, so, but yeah, there's no. Yeah, we haven't sort of activated any plan to get. Uh, well, you know, lucky uh, that if Cape Town does something, and I think Cape Town will. Cape Town will probably say to themselves, um, Cape Town Tourism will probably say, "Look, um, I, uh, we've been rigged for international tourism for years. Now, chance for the guy sitting north that couldn't afford the Cape Town holiday because he was competing with international um, buyers to come down to Cape Town. But if the guy comes to Cape Town," There's a very good chance that will come to Fort Constantia. I think you're a natural visit. Yeah, well, it's, uh, if I say, if I say um, that we are not, it's not that we are not doing something. Um, it's it's, uh, it's it's very possible that Lila, because Lila, our marketing manager, is also on the, on the board of Cape Town Tourism and the mm -hmm. Big Seven. So there are so Fort Constantia is part of uh, a lot of the uh, Cape Town Tourism. So it's part of a bigger picture. Yeah, I understand what you're yeah, saying. So, so yeah, so like I said, there are quite a, quite a few initiatives as well. So. You know, we are, we definitely, we definitely are. But to be, to be quite honest, you know, we've always, uh, um, we've always tried to, you know, you can't only rely on the on the international guys, you know. So, um, yeah, so we, so we are trying. You need, you need to look after the local tourists, you know, because the international tourists, you know, there's seasons, you know, especially mm -hmm. in, in um, especially in winter time, there's, uh, there's a lot. So you, you can't, you can't neglect the, 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 the local tourists. So we are trying to. Uh, Always trying to sort of get the locals. That's why you know they're, they're trying to get the local tourists and get the locals. Yeah, it's it's important. That's why we also open um, uh, even even uh, when when lockdown allowed it. You know, we allowed people to get came back into the farm, even though they couldn't buy wine. We mm -hmm. said to them, "Listen, yeah, it's fine. Come walk on the farm, walk your dog. Yeah, you know, sort of just experience this, even though even though we couldn't sell wine to them. So we tried to look after the local tourists, even though we couldn't sell wine to them. We tried to sort of make the guys." Uh, like the guys welcome you and welcome back onto the estate. Um, so we, yeah, we are trying to get people back into the farm. 
Bula, this has been a difficult year, and I think a lot of people learned a few new things, but also you've got 20 years of experience, just that for Constantia alone almost. So what is the most important thing that you've learned from your wine journey? Yes, well, um, I'll be very honest. I don't think anything that I learned in the last 20 years could prepare us for what happened, <laughs> what happened now. Eh? So, yeah, I don't know. What, what I learned from wine, it's, um, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tricky question. Um, I think, you know, but I'm sure that most people would have experienced, you know, I think whatever, whatever you do, you know, it's, it's, it's often just a, um, a sort of microcosm of the, of the bigger thing, um, sort of trends we see in the wine industry. It's interesting, the wine industry has gone through, um, the wine industry has gone through um, um, uh, the sort of changes that are sort of bigger, the bigger guys were more popular 20 years ago, and then there was this whole financial meltdown in 2008. And then people went for the more smaller, like craft beer and craft gin. They went for craft wine and the smaller sort of against the odds. So we often see that the wine industry is just a smaller sort of version of really what's happening out there. Um, uh, but, um, but what we've seen in the wine industry, um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's often the guys, yeah, it's difficult to explain. Um, but um, but it's, it's not, just, I'm not going to word, I'm not going to word this correctly, yeah, but it's, um, um, and, 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 and a lot of industries, people say, you know, it's what you put in, um, what you, you know, what you put in is what you get out of, but the wine industry, it's literally that, you know, so, so if you say what you put in, literally sort of wine tasting, what you experience, because your what you experience and what you, what you do, you know, that becomes your reality. Um, so what we try to do is also, you know, try to travel as much as possible, sort of experience different areas, different wines, different regions. And sort of, you know, try to experience as much as possible and sort of, you know, sort of take in as much as possible and sort of use that and then and then try to sort of distill it down to what we do. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I've been very fortunate to be involved in a 300 year old estate, but things are not stagnant. We spoke about wine styles and I can see our styles change here on Kruikostantia. We have a library of wine going back 50, 60 years, even more actually sort of some of the wines go back to the late 1700s. Um, and our styles have changed here. So you need to, you need to sort of really be um, uh, sort of, you know, part of that wine world, and which is not always a bad thing. Um, sort of, you know, see what happens in the rest of the wine world. And if there's anything good that we can apply, uh, um, then just sort of make it part of our world. Yeah, so I'm not really answering your question now, am I? No, I think it's interesting. I'm, 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 it's very interesting. So, okay, well, as a last, I always ask everybody this, you've got to give us a wine quote. You can either have your own one or you can, Plagiarize somebody. Wine quote. Yeah, I'm not very good at wine quotes. Uh, um, um, I think it's very similar. I think it really ties in with what I just said. Now, um, there's a, a very common quote in the wine industry is, uh, life is too short to drink bad wine. Um, I remember when I started making wine, that's and actually reminded Andre about it recently. You know, Andre said to me, you know, at, um, uh, you know don't, don't drink cheap wine as a young sort of winemaker in the industry, not always having the budget. You know, they sort of go for the budget ends, but you know, they, you need to, another, another winemaker, Mark Kent, he also said, you know, you can't make the best wine in the world if you don't drink the wine, best wines in the world. So, um, so that is what we are trying to do. Uh, it's like, yeah, life is too short to drink, uh, to drink bad wine. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. I'd rather, I think also there's a whole big drive now about responsible use of, uh, of alcohol in our industry. And that's what you're trying to do. We'd rather have people sort of, you know, drink less wine, but drink better wine. So that is what we'd mm -hmm. like people to do. Bula, um, thank you very, very much for spending the time. It's been very, very interesting. Um, I think our, our listeners will, will love this. Um, if they want to get hold of you or want to get hold of Fruit Constantia, how do people get hold of you guys? 
Um, yo, obviously at the website, www.rutkosancho.co.za or if there's any questions, they can email me, bula.gaber.rutkosancho.co.za. Excellent. Bula, thank you very much. Appreciate your time and um, I'd love to talk to you again in future. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your, uh, your efforts. Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description. Bye.